Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow patriots and forgotten American taxpayers to the one and only Conservative Review podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, here in the house for a brand new week on Monday, February 10th. New day, new week, boundless opportunities for conservatives, for this country. And of course, there will be boundless distractions to be used as defeat mechanisms against those opportunities. It was a great weekend. Uh, We celebrated our anniversary, my wife and I, 11th anniversary. Uh, So I really didn't want to come back to work today. It's like, you know, when you have a really good weekend, you're like, man, why, why can't it just be Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, all week? But there is a lot to do. There's a lot of opportunities. You look at this week, and we have so many civilization issues for which there is a need for leadership. And there are opportunities with the president in power, President Trump, who agrees with us intuitively on most issues. There are opportunities to pursue some of those outcomes. The insanity of Afghanistan and what we're doing there. We got Trump's budget proposal released this week. Boundless opportunities if we actually fought for it when it mattered in September when Congress actually passes the budget itself. We have endless problems with our border and interior enforcement, a criminal alien crisis, crime, drugs, gangs, jailbreak, homelessness, criminal aliens, cartels, sanctuary cities, all tying together that affect our communities and neighborhoods more than almost anything. We need a vision for those things. We're going to have a lot of news on that. Domestic crime. So much going on in New York and elsewhere with endless numbers of people who have terrible criminal records, gun felonies, violent crimes committed, and barely serve a day in prison. We obviously have that case with an attempted assassination of NYPD cops. Turns out this guy was uh, a classic case of a rap sheet, yay long, with gun felonies. And of course, in all these states, they're very into gun control, except if you are actually a violent criminal who uses a gun to assault people, then we do not enforce the law against you. So much going on. A judicial supremacy crisis. I mean, folks, if, if you watch my Twitter feed, at Conservative, you'll see I don't even have time to write about all these cases or talk about them. But for all this talk of, oh, we're winning back the courts, the truth be told, every day, the courts shut down another no-brainer, vital security policy to our sovereignty, our security, our neighborhoods, getting rid of criminal aliens. ICE can't do this. ICE can't do that against Supreme Court precedent, against the law, against ancient principles and history of sovereignty. And yet nothing is done about that. Nothing in Congress, nothing about Republicans running for Congress on this. Nothing in the administration to push back against it. Oh, we're just appointing better judges. What a sham. What a defeat mechanism. What a joke. And then, of course, as we spoke about very much last week, 
we have Republican primaries. On Friday, we had an unbelievably articulate candidate, Nick Freitas, running for Congress in Virginia's 5th District. You guys can go to his website, Nick for Virginia, and check him out. There's boundless opportunities. If you guys want more pressure on Republicans, on the Trump administration, to focus on these issues, well, this is the show for you. Subscribe to our show at iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you you hear podcasts. Do me a favor and leave us a five-star rating at iTunes. So that way, it will be more unlikely this show will be shadow banned. But uh, send this around to 50 of your friends and relatives. Because I just want you guys to know that I'm laying down a marker of what should be done, what can be done, so that you know it doesn't have to be this way. Yet with all this boundless opportunity, so many civilization issues that hang in the balance, where Trump could really do a lot about it, intuitively wants to do something about it, but if we don't get in his face and we don't pressure him, as I've always said, naturally, the swamp is always in his face, And we'll always be pressuring him. And if he only sees one side of it, I'm not making excuses for him. I'm just saying a reality. He will go along with it. That is what we've learned. And I want to use that theme today to go through several important foreign policy, national security, border, and fiscal issues. But I would note that you would think with impeachment over, all my colleagues in this business would be solely focused on some or one of the aforementioned issues. Republican primaries, fiscal issues, the border, what the president could do more on the border, what he could do more on interior enforcement and sanctuaries, a vision for the second term on health care, getting out of Afghanistan and redeploying our troops at our own border. But no, no. It's all going to be about the Democrat primary every week now. You see what Joe Biden said? He called the, the that woman a, a pony face, whatever. I mean, this is what it is. Oh, look at Nancy Pelosi ripped up the piece of paper. Folks, they're ripping up our republic. Let's focus on that. And let's focus on the fact that Trump, the last time I checked, still is the president. And there's a lot we can do. But you know what? It's all going to be in the past. We spent three years basically still fighting against Hillary Clinton when she was dead politically. Now we're going to spend the next who knows how long fighting against Biden. I mean, he's not even going to win the nomination at this point. I don't even know why we're focusing on him. But that's going to be the theme today. Because you don't realize that if you you would count the 15 most influential so-called conservatives, whether they are or not, they're regarded as such. They could do so much positive were they to focus on what we focus on here. Look, that's why we need to elevate this show to that status. Otherwise, uh, no one's going to pressure the president to focus on what's right. But I want to give you a perfect example of this, of how the stupid Teletubbies are like, here, here's what happens. The president wants to do what's right. Um. of of what's in the administration, foreign policy, apparatus in Washington, 
They say you can't do that. No, you, you can't do that. There's nobody on the other side pressuring the president. No, you must do that. Instead, everyone who would otherwise be doing that are like, oh, look at Pelosi. Ooh, ooh. Like all this Teletubby stuff. And then the president decides to go along with the swamp. And they're like, shut up, Daniel. Are you criticizing the president? Are you criticizing the president? I'm saying, well, actually, the president agreed with me. But, you know, you were out to lunch until he wound up caving on it. And now suddenly you're adopting it as, as if it's his policy. But it's just so stupid. That's the cycle of the Teletubbies. And, and it goes on on tons of issues. But Afghanistan is the biggest one. So over the weekend, we lost two more Green Berets. Great, great soldiers. Sergeant First Class Javier Gutierrez and Sergeant First Class Antonio Rodriguez. I believe they were both of the 3rd Battalion, 7th Special Forces Group. They were ambushed by the very Afghan National Army forces that were helping in this godforsaken East Afghanistan province. Last year, every special forces group lost at least one soldier in Afghanistan. We lost at least, I think, 22 last year, the most since 2014. So far this year, in just five weeks, we've lost six soldiers. Okay, that's at a pace of like 65 for this year. I mean, if there were ever a time to properly apply John Kerry's famous statement, Rhetorical question. How do you ask a man to be the last man to die for a mistake? This is it. And when you look and you see that um, Antonio Rodriguez, he was on his 10th deployment. He was only 28 years old. He was on his 10th deployment to Afghanistan. What could be so important there? So vital that we would do this. And just first before my main point here on our perverted backwards foreign policy, military engagement versus homeland security immigration policies perfectly embodied in what went on in Afghanistan over the weekend and how conservatives are, are out to lunch and not giving the president a counter movement and backing that he inherently wants. There's a side point to be made here that's, that's just as vital. And that is recently you've seen a lot of hits in the media on SOCOM, on the Special Forces community, Special Operator Operations community, that is. Special Forces is one branch of it, that's the Green Berets. But um, the Special Operators, oh, there's bad behavior, they're loose cannons, whether it's the indictments of the guys that supposedly did too good of a job killing the enemy, or whether it's, you know, kind of drunkenness or whatever. What is so appalling is that the media only notices the problems in SOCOM when it comes to that. But they don't notice it when it comes to the antecedent, the cause, the policy mistakes. Oh, there's a lot of problems in, in, within special operators. Yeah, gee, no kidding. You know, there's also a lot of suicides too. Because we're stressing them out, as I've noted before. We're using the special operators as conventional forces having them deploy with special operator degree of intensity but strategically like conventional forces that they're holding together an entire country 
with just a few thousand guys that are perpetually there. See, typically, you know, you have a life, something big comes up, you're deployed, hit and run. You go, you do a commando action, and you leave. That's what they're designed to do. What they're not designed to do is to be there on that degree of intensity, but, you know, for years on end, holding together a country and a phony enemy Afghan army because we're too scared to pull the plug on it. But on the other hand, we don't want to say that we're having 100,000 troops, so we have a few thousand special operators basically do the job of them. This is a major problem that we're stressing out our special operators. But somehow, no, no one seems to care about that. Talk about forgotten Americans. But anyway, I've been positing this thesis for so long of invade the world, invite the world. So over the weekend, you had Dan Crenshaw. Oh, the big golden calf, the big Republican hero. He's a conservative. He said, my prayers are with the families of the fallen today. They will never be forgotten. God bless these guys who take the fight to the enemy so they can't fight us here. Folks, this is the embodiment of what I'm talking about. We go over there. They can't affect us unless we bring them here. They don't have a Navy. They don't have an Air Force. They they don't have nuclear weapons to come here. That was the lesson of 9-11. We still won't learn the lesson of the 9-11 staff uh, report commission, uh, the 9-11 commission staff report, that 9-11 was all about visas and immigration because, quote, terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they are unable to enter the country. Yet, we brought in roughly 100,000 people from Afghanistan unvetted because of this phony social work in a combat zone. 56,000 of them have been what's called SIVs, Special Immigrant Visas, where we treat them like refugees because they were like military personnel or interpreters that helped us there. We owe it to them to bring them here. They helped us. Well, guess what? The same people we're bringing in are the same helpers that are committing the green on blue attacks like we had over the weekend, killing our guys while we're fighting for them. We've spent about $85 billion propping up this Afghani military as part of the broad trillion dollar, roughly trillion dollar toll of Afghanistan building roads that get blown up for them. Now, here's the deal, friends. Here's the deal. There's a lot of ambiguity about where the president stands on crime. And I always said he stands with me. He says drug traffickers should get the death penalty. Because nobody pressured him to do, to do what he naturally always said, and everyone, including 100% of so-called conservatives, say, this is what you need to do, Mr. President, do criminal justice deform. So he does it, and then once he does it, then everyone else supports it because they're like, Daniel, you can't oppose the president. And I'm thinking, you idiots, <laughs> the president naturally supports me. But one area you cannot deny that, that this is true with is Afghanistan. Everyone knows the president hates it. He hated it from day one. He campaigned on it. He thinks it's stupid. He wants to get out of there. Yet rather than having a focused movement, we had a movement that began focusing on Mueller in 2017. So what happened? In April, in uh, August 2017, the president announced, quote, against my better judgment, I'm going to have a troop surge in Afghanistan. And here we are, three years into this presidency, 
We actually have more soldiers there, more people dying. Talk of pulling out, but we're not doing it. And instead, it's like this business of negotiating with the Taliban. I don't, I don't want to negotiate with them. We're going to pull out on our own terms. Get, get, make sure you track down our hardware the best we can. Keep our air and naval bases for strike and maneuver. And redeploy those soldiers at our border. If we have time, we're going to talk about the meth crisis in L.A. That Fox 11 News there has done a good job exposing. CJNG cartel flooding the areas. Millions of criminal aliens in this country. Thousands upon thousands of homicides. Rapes. Drug trafficking. Drunk driving. Don't you think these soldiers would rather be defending our own border? The notion that somehow national security is is rooted in in, in going there. And then what's ironic is people like Dan Crenshaw are the very ones that then want to bring in the endless Afghanis. And that's the lesson. They're cut from the same cloth as there's no the Afghan military and the Taliban. They're the same thing. And yet we bring them in. Listen to this mentally ill statement on Fox um, from Michael Waltz. This is the Republican who actually took over Ron DeSantis' seat in Florida 6, Daytona Beach area, when DeSantis became governor. Take a listen here. I do want to say it, it is a tried and true tactic for the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, to use uh, Afghan uniforms to try to infiltrate our ranks. And it, and it looks like that's what they did here. But bigger picture, Jason, you know, all of these types of conflicts have to come to some type of political resolution. I certainly share the president's frustration, all of our frustration for how difficult this war has been. But we have to be very careful for just getting frustrated and saying we have to pull the troops out and bring everybody home. And whatever happens, happens, because that half the world's terrorist organizations still exist there. <laughs> Folks, I, I, I don't know what to tell you about that. I don't know what to tell you. So he admits that there's a green and blue uh, on blue problem that, you know, there, there's there's an insider attack problem. But his answer is stay the course. We can't we can't pull out. That might have been acceptable after three years of the war, after five years, after seven years, folks. After 19 years going on the 19th year, this is this is this is where you're at. Kids who weren't even born yet now serving in the war that their fathers served in? Are you kidding me? And it's not a war. It's social work on behalf of people killing us. Ancient tribal warfare. Oh, it might become, there might be people there, just like in Iraq. Iraq, he's also wrong. Iraq, the reason we have ISIS is not because we pulled out. It's because we gave Baghdad, it's because of the initial, the initial pull in. We gave Baghdad to Iran, so the Sunnis are always going to push back against that, and, and this is what resonates with them. And just like in Afghanistan, we brought in something like 200,000 Iraqi immigrants, equally divided among Sunnis and Shias, so they can go and fight with each other on our soil. We've had several thousand Afghani soldiers. Again, these very... I, I want you guys to understand this. 
Sometimes when we speak about it in the abstract, it, it's hard to understand. But I want you to see a real example as it happens. When you hear stories of several thousand Afghani trainees and military soldiers coming on our shores and they go AWOL and they disappear into our country. Remember, they're the same people that are working with our military, leading them into ambushes over there. Daniel, uh, we have to send our soldiers over there to be led into ambushes uh, so they don't come here, but we bring those same people here to ambush civilians. I mean, it is mentally ill. It really is. But this is what the establishment Republicans believe in. This is what all the people in the State Department and the Pentagon believe in. So... Even something that Trump emphatically doesn't want to do, and I think everyone would agree, he wants out of there. They're going to tell him it's unfeasible. You're going to, you're the, you're going to die if you, you pull out. Absent a focused movement on the outside to really bang away at this, Rush and Sean and Levin and all these people, Laura Ingram, all the Fox shows, it, it's not going to happen. I'm just telling you. It's not going to happen. That is the lesson of how powerful conservatives are. They have a president that wants to do the right thing. But, you know, it's not going to happen if you don't push for it. And again, with immigration, these people can never bring themselves to view immigration as the cornerstone of national security. They can't come here if we don't bring them here. And yet, I mean, after Pensacola, same thing. This administration's reaction to Pensacola was appalling. Rather than shutting down visas from Saudi Arabia and similar countries, and certainly, certainly shutting down the foreign military training program, and then also arming our soldiers on bases, both things you cannot deny Trump naturally wants to do. Instead, none of that happened. And instead, what did happen was his swamp Pentagon chief, Secretary of Defense Esper, said he wants to increase the program of of foreign military trainees on our soil by 50% over the next five years. We could focus on the Democrat primary all we want. But what's the point if we continue to get these same policies? Doesn't have to be this way. Oh, Daniel, do you want the Democrats to win? No, actually, I want to have a compelling message of Republicans winning on a compelling message that defeats the Democrats and also defeats their policies. I mean, can't we have it both? And in fact, that's the way, the more effective way to win. But it's going to be all about Bernie Sanders and Butt Gang and Klobuchar and whatever the the the, the clown show. Um, Daniel is very important. It's New Hampshire, and next week will be South Carolina, and then Nevada, and then it, I mean, it's it's whatever. This can go on forever. These are things the president can do unilaterally. And again, we're going to talk about the budget today. We're going to talk about the budget, but this is a big part of what is killing us because we're spending so much money on these social work operations under the guise of funding the military, but it's actually depleting the military. We don't need to increase military spending. We need to cut the social work out 
And then with that money, you could just spend the same and use it for the proper deterrent of the hardware that we need and to use it properly in a, in a, in a, in a posture, as, as Colonel Dan Steiner always says on my show, that speaks to our strength, the air and naval superiority, our own border. Don't, don't go and follow them into their rabbit holes and, and then have the Taliban or Iran blow us up. That speaks to their strengths and we don't need to be there. Strike and maneuver. But because of the wars, then therefore we need to spend more on the military, and therefore we got to spend more on non-defense spending to make a deal with the Democrats. It's going to keep going on. But before we get to the border, um, uh, the budget, I, I just want to focus one more thing on how these guys refuse, refuse to view immigration as national security. Fox News had a headline over the weekend. Pompeo, Secretary of State, warns governors of Chinese infiltration into U.S. It's happening in your state. China's Communist Party has infiltrated various levels of America's infrastructure and is working to destroy the values of the United States, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said during a speech Saturday, while also warning state governors to be wary of China's infiltration. We can't ignore China's actions and strategic intentions, he said, while addressing the National Governors Association winter meeting. The Chinese government has been methodically, methodical in, in the way it's analyzed our systems, it's assessed our vulner, vul, uh, vulnerabilities, and it's decided to exploit our freedoms to gain an advantage over us at the federal level, the state level, and the local level. He talked about groups loyal to communist China are operating out in the open in Virginia, Minnesota, Florida, and dozens of other states all around the country. So, um, this is, yeah, I'm not going to read the whole thing here. But what I found amazing is he misses the big point. Mike Pompeo, like all other State Department, Secretaries of State, Establishment Republicans, is very into more immigration. He was against cutting refugees. He was, right, against that. So it's like you could hit them in the face. They can walk right into a doorknob and won't talk about the doorknob. They'll talk about the the sink. Folks, the guy's like, we have people operating over. Well, who do you think they are? They're Chinese nationals you brought in through year after year after year of record foreign Chinese students. 360,000 a year we bring in. 80,000 green cards handed out to Chinese nationals every year. You put the two together, that is more immigration from China than any other country, yet no other country has used immigration as a conduit for espionage and stealing trade secrets and subversion than China. This is mentally ill. Again, he, he won't talk about the 800-pound gorilla in the room. I mean, Mike Pompeo just made the case for a moratorium on immigration from China until we could see how to vet them. I mean, and again, I, I, I've said this a million times. Unlike with the Middle East, where there's a systemic values problem, there's a lot of good Chinese people. I wouldn't mind them coming here, all things equal. But when you have numbers that large, there's no way we could vet them, and we're not. We're not even, I mean, it's, it's, it's out in the open. We just allowed them to eat us alive. Hey, come right on in. Oh, yeah, they're operating out in the open. Well, gee, 
And he actually talked about this, the foreign students, that they're seeking to sow chaos at the state and local level, specifically in the realm of education and on college campuses. Maybe some of you have heard about the time when the Chinese consulate paid the the UC San Diego students to protest the Dalai Lama. It shows depth. It shows systemization. It shows intent. Again, but their biggest conduit is through having 360,000 Chinese nationals in our universities. Now, certainly they get Americans to, to, you know, American leftist kids to join in on that. But um, that is their biggest conduit to organize, to overwhelm. But it's like lost on them. Ah, you know, we we have a problem. It's terrorism in Afghanistan, Iraq. And they go in and bring in record numbers from there. Oh, there's like espionage and subversion and and so in chaos by the Chinese in our country. So let's bring in more immigrants from China and foreign students than any other country. These people are retarded. But again, this is continuing under the Trump administration when the president himself has spoken out against all this, but it's going to continue as long as people think it's more important to talk about Bernie Sanders while perpetuating Bernie's values on immigration. Man, is this frustrating. Now let's move on to the next issue. Gosh, I didn't even get to half of what I wanted to get to today. Um... And by the way, you actually now have a federal judge saying that we're not bringing in enough SIVs, that these people served us, the interpreters in Afghanistan, and we're not giving them visas quickly enough. So now people in Afghanistan, standing in Afghanistan, could get standing in a court to demand a visa when statute says specifically that's up to the consular officials. There is no standing for that. We had Trump via Hawaii saying the president gets to determine who comes in. Forget about all the... Uh, courts shutting down deportations and removals, we haven't even moved to the point where we got the courts out of blocking people from demanding to come in initially who have never been in the country. Oh, but we're winning back the courts, Daniel. Judicial supremacism is awesome, but we just get our own guys in the, 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 the system. Jeez, are these, telebu- these teletubbies are just dumb as mud. I'm telling you, People who call themselves conservative movement people have the lowest IQ around. So that's that. But Trump's budget. So the president introduced his budget, the annual budget proposal, uh, crafted by OMB acting director Russ Vogt. Uh, Every February, essentially, is what happens as part of the budget process. The president uh, introduces a blueprint. Obviously, the president doesn't legislate. But as part of the Budget uh, Act of, um, I'm forgetting, around 1920, uh, it was part of it just that Congress demands that the president introduce something. Hey, like, what do you need? What do the agencies need? And then, obviously, they do with it what they want, and they pass what they want. But then, remember, on the backside, the president does have a veto pen that he can use to to leverage many of the priorities that he wants funded or not funded. Um. The important lesson not is not to get involved in too many of the details of this bill, but there's two important things to make. Number one is that every year the 
we, we've seen this, where they introduce a, a, a budget that is increasingly imperfect. You know, every year it gets more and more liberal because it accepts more of the spending baseline that they themselves caved on and then grew. And then, you know, they give up on certain things and have more, you know, Ivanka care and things like that. But nonetheless, it does certainly contain in totality, you know, more spending cuts to things like the Department of Education and foreign aid than certainly what they'll wind up enacting. And on the flip side, more funding for ICE and interior enforcement than what they'll wind up getting. And it would be great if we could enact that as opposed to what we will wind up enacting and what we have enacted. So there's always headlines on, oh, Trump's cutting this, he's doing this. But really, it's nothing is happening. What happens is what they pass initially in September is the CR and then ultimately the omnibus, usually a few months later. That's really what matters. And if the president uses his veto threat and really fights for this, he can get it. Um, but until now, he hasn't done it. Which leads me to my second point. Same thing with Afghanistan. We have a distracted movement. So I noted during the State of the Union address that the president talked about socialism. We can't allow socialism to destroy our great nation. But then he went on to propose what I think many of us would call, uh, well, uh, socialism. <laughs> and all, this, all these new spending programs. And he didn't mention about cutting anything and mention, he didn't even mention the problem of the debt, which is just insane. Now, a lot of people said, well, Daniel, you know, he was never really going to be a president cutting spending. He was never going to be a fiscally conservative president. Well, first off, we're not even talking about cutting spending. We're talking about not increasing it dramatically over Obama's era. I mean, I look back and I saw the Department of Education is slated to spend $83 billion this year. That's 24% more than it was in 2009 under Obama's stimulus. Now, you just for inflation, it's a little bit less than that, obviously, but still a lot higher than Obama's levels. You know, even this budget that supposedly has draconian cuts still spends $4.8 trillion this year. Remember, Obama's final budget in 2016, not that long ago, was $4.15 trillion. That, that, that's a 15.7% jump. Again, you adjust for inflation, it's a little bit less, but still, you know, even the conservative budget now, some of that is because of the baseline of Medicare and, and Social Security continuously going up. But a lot of that is because we increased domestic non-discretionary defense spending and the stupid war spending when it should have been over with. So the lesson here is the same lesson it is on Afghanistan. The president is okay with making cuts to Medicaid and welfare and the Department of, uh, Department of Education and foreign aid. EPA is cut by 29% here. Energy subsidies are cut by 27%. Foreign aid is cut by 21%. Now, again, it's relative to last year's record high levels. The cuts when they first proposed them in 2017 were against that baseline. So, you know, the Overton window keeps shifting. But again, you know, this is something we could do. The pre Don't tell me the president doesn't support it. He does because he has Russ vote as his budget director. But he also does have the liberal Steven Mnuchin as the Treasury Secretary. So Russ usually wins out on some of the budget proposals, but in ultimately what the president actually does with the legislation that matters, which is basically the debt ceiling increases and the, the budget bills, 
He listens to Mnuchin and all the swamp dudes in the administration. Again, don't tell me that the president wouldn't sign a good budget bill. He would. He's proposing it. Now, will he sign a bad budget bill if everyone coalesces around it? Sure. Again, this is the failure. And again, I'm not trying to make excuses for Trump. I'm just telling you, if you think Trump's the only problem, I I got news for you. Four years from now, pick your greatest Republican ever you'd want to run for president. Let's just say for argument's sake, Governor Ron DeSantis, just because he's popular, Florida governor, that's a pretty good position from which to mount a presidential bid in 2024. Okay, there's no doubt he is smarter and more philosophically grounded on the issues than Trump is. But but I'm just telling you, even him, if we just sit back and continue this razzle-dazzle focus of this broken conservative movement, inevitably, you're not going to get what you could be getting out of anyone, even someone like that. The same thing's going to happen. But that's the lesson here. So, I mean, it proposes $2 trillion in savings on so-called mandatory spending, $1.6 trillion over 10 years in savings on discretionary spending. Then it envisions getting rid of OCO, the Overseas Contingency Operations, the wars. Now, just to show how, you know, even this amazing budget, which they're going to jettison and not fight for, how the Overton window has moved, just so you guys realize how, how much trouble we're in, even this budget proposes to spend $56.3 trillion over the next 10 years. And the reality is that a lot of the things in there are very notional. They're, it's hocus pocus. So, for example, they actualize $1.5, million, $1.5 trillion in deficit reduction and I, I said, wait a minute, I, I, how is this different than last year's budget proposal? So I took a look at last year's budget proposal a year ago out of OMB, and I saw they have a revenue baseline that's $1.5 trillion higher, um, even though they're making the tax cuts permanent. And the reason supposedly is because they, they're predicting 3%, an average of 3% growth every year. Folks, <laughs> we haven't achieved it one year in... Um, 15 years, and they're saying uh, we're 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 getting two percent growth now. You're saying we get three on average for 10 years straight. <laughs> I mean that's garbage. And again, part of why we're not getting it is because of the debt that this administration has continued and has indulged. The debt is weighing down the economic growth, even with um a good job market. So the revenue is not going to be there. So the deficit is going to be even even bigger. A lot of the spending cuts are kind of hocus-pocus. Oh, we're going to save some waste, fraud, and abuse here. And then um, just things you know they're never going to fight for. But nonetheless, they did propose certainly something better than what we're going to wind up getting. Trump is putting his name on it. So don't tell me, oh, he's never for cutting any spending. It's not true. It's the same thing as jailbreak. He wants to be tough on crime, but if everyone tells him that jailbreak's a good idea, he'll do that too, and then he'll praise it. Same way, he'll propose a budget, and he'll praise it, and then ultimately we don't fight for it, and McConnell and McCarthy work with the Democrats to not only jettison every provision of that budget, but to then turn around 
and increase spending on the very accounts like foreign aid, the community block grant programs that Trump promised to eliminate, well, he'll sign it and say it's a good budget. I mean, that's just how he rolls. So this is going to continue. This is going to continue. One real thing on on uh, what we do want to fund on immigration. So um, there's been a lot of talk that it only asks for $2 billion in wall funding. Um, now, the administration is saying that, look, at the end of the day, once we had to go to reprogramming from DOD funding, we already have enough funding. So we didn't need that. Um, I still do. I, I, I accept that for the most part, because, you know, to me at this point, it's the military that needs to be at the border and it's interior enforcement and enforcing the laws and against the courts and kicking the courts out of immigration policy. If you do that, you solve it. If you don't, you don't. The border wall to me is not even that important. But if that is your thing, I do think it's a mistake to start negotiations that low. I mean, especially when you're not concerned about debt anymore and you have a budget that you know is going to indulge so much debt. You may as well just put in there more border funding, so at least you're starting negotiations at a higher point. Um, but but on the on the flip side, it does fund sixty thousand detention beds. It does increase funding for ICE by one point eight billion, and I was told does have funding for several thousand more deportation officers. So again, I mean that is something that we need to fight for and demand that that be placed in the September budget. Criminal aliens. I mean that that is the fight we need to have. I'm working with a member of Congress to introduce the catch-all legislation on ending the presence of at least illegal immigrants who are arrested for crimes in this country. Is that too much to ask for? That is a winning issue if I've ever seen one. So that's with that. And again, you go back to crime. Doesn't have to be this way either. Doesn't have to be this way. There's so much more we as a, as, a, as a movement could be doing. You had this Robert Williams guy identified over the weekend for um, shooting up a New York pol- NYPD police station in the Bronx. And again, it, it just demonstrates how brazen they are. He, had a, he was a career criminal with busts including homicide, according to the, to, to the New York Post. I mean... Folks, we have so many people. If you would, I would love to see a statistic on how many people are not in prison just just among those charged with homicide. Nothing else, okay? Oh, we lock people up for too many things. We have an over-incarceration problem. We have an under-incarceration problem. We see this all the time. So he ambushed two cops sitting in a marked patrol vehicle, and then he's believed to have then come later and has shot... um, the police station, he was caught, but his record includes past bus for homicide and gun possession. And he was recently released from custody after he was caught toting a piece of heavy weaponry. He just got out for a machine gun charge. So here I am in Maryland. I've never done anything wrong. I have an unalienable right. There are so many guns I cannot buy. I have to spend so much more money because I can't utilize online sales. A, because of the mag capacity. And any, I mean, it's so stupid because unless you're getting a subcompact gun, even a regular compact gun, the standard is more than 10 rounds these days. 
So either you have to get it shipped without the mags and then spend a fortune buying mags separately plus shipping, which makes it not worth it. And then there's all sorts of crazy restrictions they have in these states. You'd be shocked. It's not just ARs and rifles. It's regular 9mm handguns. There's so many of them that you have to modify. You can't get this model. You can't get that. Um, Yet this guy, a murderer, was able to you know, be arrested for having, for possessing, possessing a machine gun and he is released. And he goes on and almost kills attempted murder on two cops. What an utter joke. You want to talk about opportunities of a focused conservative movement. The juxtaposition of jailbreak to gun control. So much we can do on this. So much. But all Republicans are pushing Criminal justice reform. Again, Afghanistan, immigration, visas, China, budget, ICE funding, sanctuary cities, border, crime, drugs, gangs, homelessness. I didn't get a chance to talk about how the jailbreak and open borders is fueling homelessness as well. That's a whole other problem in California. Talk about that later this week. So many civilization issues that hang in the balance that a lot of them, Trump could do a lot now. He could totally do so much unilaterally. How much more so we could build the case for a better Congress, a better second term, to also do things in the budget and legislatively. We have the courts that are destroying this country, yet we have this defeat mechanism that McConnell is all of a sudden God and we're winning back the courts, focusing on the wrong thing when we're not. Name me one other conservative figure that's focusing on this stuff. I don't know. I'd like to see it. But for now, I need your help. I need your help promoting the show. Go and give us a five-star rating at iTunes. Send the show to 50 of your friends and relatives. Email me your questions, comments, concerns at dharwitz at blazemedia.com. Busy, busy week ahead as always. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening. <laughs>